Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. We are in Matthew chapter 8. If you want to go there, Matthew chapter 8. Last week we talked about, uh, we started a new series called Jesus Stories. We're just kind of pulling some of them out, taking a look at them. Uh, we focused in on the number 40 last week. We talked a lot about the number 40. Uh, what it means, um, what it suggests, that it's kind of this time of transition, um, kind of a hard spot, and then it seems like God shows up after that, which, I don't know about you, but like, I couldn't get that number out of my head, like, throughout the rest of the week, and I was like, you know what perfect illustration would have been like WD-40? <laughs> like, it's hard, and then it like finally breaks through, like, and I was like, you are such a slow thinker. You should have thought of that, but anyway, so I thought I'd share it with you now. Uh, today, we want to focus on a different number. Um, even the even the idea of the world has been, uh, through antiquity, you go back and you study it, uh, this number seems to be a focal point that our world is just kind of built on. You see it in every single thing uh, that you do. It's the number three. And the number three seems to be an important number. You've got this idea that... Um, the uh, Zeus, the ruler of heaven, right? Zeus, the, the, the ruler of heaven and earth. Poseidon, the ruler of the sea. Hades, the ruler of the underworld. When you talk about the makeup of a man, people will often say body, soul, and spirit. When you begin to talk about scripture and you begin to point at different things in scripture, three shows up a lot. Um, Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Did he have more? No, he just had three, maybe. I don't, I don't know. But we mentioned three. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob seems to be pretty important. Saul, David, Solomon seems to be pretty important. Throughout the book of Isaiah, a lot of the prophets, even the Psalms in different places, holy, holy, holy. There seems to be some sort of triangular connection all the time. Maybe it's Pythagorean theorem, like showing up in random places. But we have three everywhere. There are three temptations of Jesus. When Jesus pulls his disciples together, there are three that are on the inside, Peter, James, and John. Um, when Peter denies Jesus, he does it three times. When the disciples fall asleep in Gethsemane, he has to wake them up three times. There seems to be something about this number that always suggests completion or, or, or power or an elemental level of this is what we are made of. It is always there. And then the greatest, the greatest three in all the scripture is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. We see this thing over and over. And if you go to any church, I promise you, this morning, 90% of churches are preaching, and here's what their sermons consist of. Three points and a poem. Why? Because we're, we're attached to it. We're attached to it. Matthew chapter 8 starts something really, really, really cool. 
the Jewish mindset understood the number three um, to suggest this kind of a rollover. Like, it suggests power. It suggests wholeness and completeness above all else. And so then Matthew begins to write his version of Jesus' stories. And here's what he does. If you have Matthew chapter 8 opened up, take a look at this. These are what you call triplets. Look how this works. Man with leprosy, the faith of the centurion, and Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. Three. With me? Shortly after that, there's a section of just teaching scripture. Look at the next one. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus heals the demoniac. And then Jesus heals the paralytic. And then you know what you have? A little bit of teaching. You come on down. Jesus is questioned about fasting. Then he, he heals a dead girl and a sick woman in the, same, in the same setting. He heals a blind and a mute in the same setting. There are three miracle stories here as well. Three sets of three. What in the world is going on here? Why in the world is that important? It's, it's important. It's important. Is there some sort of super spiritual impact? I'm sure it does. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure it does. But to the Jewish mind, there was a lot more there. I want to focus on these first three miracles that Matthew lists off right here. Okay? So let's take a read at them real quick. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Let's stop there. Um, your spiritual life can oftentimes look like the first line from this passage right here. Are you with me? You and Jesus have just been together. You've been praising the Lord in your car. You had your quiet time before your kids woke up. You're feeling good. You and Jesus are connected and you come down the mountain into the land of the demon possessed. Am I not right? And you're looking around like, where do these people come from? It's a zombie apocalypse, a bunch of weirdos everywhere. And these are people who live with me at my house, you know? Yes, what is going on? They all want waffles and they're mad about something. And I don't, I don't know why. Your relationship with Jesus can look a lot like this. You are on the mountaintop with Jesus, but you know what? Jesus doesn't stay up there, so you don't get to either. I know you want to. I want to. But then there's times me and him get mad at each other. He might not get mad at me, but he probably gets mad at me. But I get mad. Then we got to walk back down to the bottom. we got to be in the valley. There's a bunch of people around. all want something. They're just banging on the door wanting something. I want Jesus to take me back to the top of the mountain. He don't want to. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. But Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus makes horrible PR decisions. Horrible. Bada bing, you better. Shh, don't tell nobody. Aren't you trying to get followers? Not just on Twitter, but in real life, aren't you trying to get some followers? Jesus is like, don't tell nobody. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you for one second, all right? Just about myself. If I could do that to people, I would not be telling anybody to shut up. <laughs> tell your friends. That's me. That's why I'm not the Lord. <laughs> that that no other reasons why I'm not the Lord. 
Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. Here's the deal about leprosy. Leprosy was understood to be a deep, festering problem with the soul. It's one thing for you to have like a spot or a thing or broken arm or something kind of like, oh, they got the... They got the flu or they got some phlegm or whatever. Like it's one thing to have that. To be, oh, you got a curled up hand. Whatever it is, that's different than leprosy. Leprosy was this thing of like, oh, that's so sad. I'm sorry to hear about your brother with leprosy. And then everybody turns and looks this way and they go, I wonder what he did. Because leprosy suggested you done made God mad now. And that was the idea. Here's the other thing. The loss specifically says do not come within arm's length of a leper and what's jesus doing putting his hands on jesus doesn't make good decisions sometimes putting his hands on people who have leprosy aha he broke the law you're kind of right and you're kind of not jesus came to fulfill the law you know what comes before the law mercy the Old Testament talked about the same thing I do not desire your sacrifices God's like you can offer bulls on an altar all day long but you are terrible to your wife you're terrible to your friends you're terrible to your kids what do you think I want more M uh, more bulls no you morons not more bulls want you to love everybody else around you. Jesus comes in and teaches something to everybody around. Mercy precedes law. You want to break the law? Find a merciful way to break the law. Mercy precedes the law. It comes in front of the law. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Here he is. He puts his hand on this man and he heals him. You know what's beautiful about this passage? is that he sends them down there. He sends this guy down to the priest. And so here's what's supposed to happen. He shows up at the, at the temple and he says, I've been healed of leprosy. And you know, what, you know what's going on. Like, you, you know how this works. He's like, so I've got to offer the sacrifice. They're like, no, 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 no. Hold on. How did this happen? <coughs> Jesus is a PR genius is what Jesus is. I can't talk about it. Can't talk you know what? You know what gets me when people say, um, I have a silent prayer request, some really big things going on. I can't tell you about it. You know what happens to the inside of me? Like, oh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, I'm going to forget to pray for you because now I'm curious about what's going on. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just the truth. Don't come up and tell me, pretend secrets, and then not let, don't. I'm no good on it. I'm no good on it. I'll, I'll say, I'll be praying for you, but I will forget because. I wonder what it is. I wonder if it's leprosy. Like, it's, it's so crazy. Jesus does. This guy don't tell. This guy goes down there. What's going on? Um, I need to offer a sacrifice for being cleansed of leprosy. How'd you get cleansed of leprosy? Uh, I'm here to offer a sacrifice for being cleansed of leprosy. Okay, fella. How'd you get cleansed of leprosy? Oh, I was standing over there. I saw it. It was that Jesus guy. It's beautiful. Here's what else to suggest. That Jesus also, if he can fix leprosy, you know what that means? He can fix the soul. 
You see, there's some weight to this healing. It's not just, oh, Jesus felt bad for the guy with all the spots on him. That's not what it was. Jesus fixed this guy and told him, this is a heart issue, and I want you to understand, I forgive sins as well, which points to deity, which really messes up everything that's going on in Israel at the time. Jesus shows up and saying that he's God, I am, before Abraham, and he's beginning to say these kind of things and do these kind of things. There's another reason Jesus isn't talking about it. It's because the time hasn't happened yet. It's not time yet. These people cannot understand. He cannot cause this stir just yet. There's more things that need to happen. And Jesus tells us, man, no, timing is important. In your own spiritual life, timing is important. There's things that happen, and there's moments that we need to make a decision, we need to make a move, and we need to say, this is what I need to do. There's no more. I'm not messing with this no more. I'm putting boundaries up. I'm taking care of the things I need to take care of. I'm standing by the Lord. I'm tired of getting walked on. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be like this no more. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to honor God with my life. I'm not going to worry about what other people think. There's these moments and these, these, these steps that we have to take in our life. And timing is always important. Jesus says timing is important in this moment. Don't tell anybody. It's not timing. This picture is so, it's so, such a pretty picture. Okay, here's the next part. When Jesus had entered uh, Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. That first line right there is designed to cause you to recoil. Jesus is teaching. A centurion shows up asking for Jesus' help. Your response is supposed to be, what? See, with the, uh, with the Roman occupation into the area, it brought about a whole lot of problems. There was political unrest. Um, there was a, there was compromised religion. Uh, it's all watered down. There was all these backdoor dealings. There came some changes in the law. Things that were once important are now, now no longer important. Culturally, the place began to change because this new power came in and ruled over the top. And so we begin to kind of take God's will and laws and push them out. And so the Jews are struggling underneath this. But that's not it. That's not all. Also, now there's these foreign militants, these foreign soldiers who are now walking around everywhere. And the law stated that if they said to you, hey, Jew, carry my pack, you had to carry his pack. Drop what you were doing and carry his pack. Do you know how tiring it would have been to have been underneath the thumb of Rome? Every single time you try to go do something with your family, you're off to a wedding, you're off to a funeral, you're off to go spend some time with somebody that you need to go to work to make money, and a Roman soldier stops you in the street and says, hey Jew, carry my pack. And now you've got to stop what you're doing and go do it. There's a bitterness that's supposed to happen when you hear this. A centurion came to Jesus asking for help. Good! Oh, Jesus puts him in his place. So you know what I love about scripture and what I hate about scripture at the same time is it really will mess with your politics and the way you see faith at the same time. It will find its way to worm white and be like, hey, so what do you think about us two going somewhere together? I'm not going anywhere with that guy. Are you kidding me right now? I'm not going anywhere with that man. And Jesus is like, what's the problem? Here's another beautiful one that you see inside of scripture. Matthew was a tax collector, okay? Simon the zealot was also a disciple of Jesus. Those two could not have been further apart. There is absolutely no love between these two. Simon the Zealot would have been a part of this group over here that says, listen, if a Roman soldier or anybody who is not Jewish looks at me sideways, I'm going to shank him. I promise. That's Simon the Zealot. That's the way he lives. I will shank him. 
You know what the worst thing in the world to a zealot would be? A Jew that taxes his own people. And what's Jesus do? Hey, this guy looks like a good one. Hey, so does he. Have you guys met each other? Yeah. Well, we better get going. You know? Like you're sitting across the campfire looking at each other like any other day, fella, and I'd have had you. I would have burned you down. If it wouldn't have been for Jesus, I'd have got you. Now, let's talk about us for just a minute. You know what scares me? Is that sometimes we get these opinions about things, these political stances about things, these ideas about the way culture should look and shouldn't look. And then sometimes we have those ideas that are just so strong inside of us that they begin to outrank Jesus in our life. This is more important than Jesus. This is more important than peace between brothers. This is an issue I should die on. This is an issue that means I can cut off friends and I can, I can get rid of people in my life because this is that important. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus supersedes every other topic in the world. Whatever, whatever cause or agenda that is out there that looks like it's good and is bringing freedom to somebody else, what, whatever that might be, Jesus has already cared about that person first and better than that cause will do. He's already offered a way for them already. This is just like a, this is like, this is Bush League. This is a Bush League cause. And that's what happens in our world a lot of times. These are small, insignificant things that even if whatever we're complaining about or griping about happens to go and pass, it will still not even compare to Christ's love for those people. What scares me is this. We can hold on to these things, and then what happens when we come to church and we realize, I disagree with that person? You know what Jesus said? You know what Jesus' answer was? Uh, get over it. Is it bigger than Jesus? No. Okay, then drop it. Is it important? Okay, maybe it's important to you. But is it bigger than Jesus? Should we cause some sort of disruption about such an issue, whatever the issue is? No. It's not that important. It's not that important. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus heard something important in that. You know what the centurion didn't say? My servant isn't doing well and there's no one to make the mac and cheese. So getting kind of hungry at my house, Jesus, could you fix this guy? He says he's paralyzed and he's in terrible suffering. The centurion shows some compassion that look, overrides the difference. Some compassion that steps into, into Jesus' world and says, look, here's what I understand. Like, you're a man of compassion. And I got a person who's broken. And I care about him. And I care about him. Could you care about him? Jesus' response is this. I will go and heal him. The man stops him. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't need to go nowhere. Can you imagine if you're standing there and you're just overhearing this conversation? Soldier shows up. It's the weirdest conversation in the world. Soldier shows up. Jesus, I need help. My servant is in terrible, terrible pain. I need you to come heal him. Jesus says, I will come heal him. And the man says, no. And you're like, this is weird. All of this is, all of this is weird. And then the man explains, no, 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 no. I don't need you to come. I don't need you to come. You just say the word. What? 
And the soldier explains to him. He says, look, man, I'm a soldier. He said, I'm underneath a guy, and I got guys underneath me, and I got servants, and I got people, and I tell this one to go. I tell this one to come. I tell this one to do this, and they do it because that's the way leadership works. That's the way that this kind of world is built on. I understand this. I'm a man of power, and I'm talking to a man of power, and so here's what I know. All you got to do is say the word, Jesus, and that situation is fixed. Just say it. The word that Matthew uses next about Jesus' response is the word marveled, which means admired and amazed. The Jesus turns and hears this guy, I will come and heal your friend, I will come and heal your servant. And the guy says, no, I don't need you to, just say the word. And Jesus turns and looks at him and goes, get the heck out of Dodge. Are you serious right now? Like, you mean that? Like, you, you're not kidding me. Like, you believe I can do it with the word? Oh, yeah, I know it. You know what I love about humanity that I think is so cool? That when a mechanic and a mechanic get together and they talk about cars, there's a new dialect. Right? You talk to motorcycle guys and motorcycles get together, motorcycle guys get together and they start talking. A brand new dialect, you might not understand a single thing that's coming out of their mouth. Farmers get together. Rain, beans, yeah, yeah, corn, yeah, harvest, yeah, I know. Okay, all right, see you later. And you're like, what did this, what just what was said? Same with farmers, same with Chiefs fans. Are we going to do it this year? No, we're not going to do it this year. Of course we're not going to do it this year. This is... And the dialect happens. There's these things that have... People with power understand this. Jesus is a man with power. He's a man of authority. So is the centurion. Centurion. Centurion, the idea of it means that he has a century or a hundred different people underneath him. So this guy commands a good portion of the Roman army. And so he looks at Jesus and he says, look, I got a hundred guys underneath me. All I got to do is say the word. And if the world works the way I seem to think it works with you, all you got to do is say the word because you got people who will take care of this thing. You got things that will take care of this. You got power that I don't understand. Say it. Jesus responds. Check this out. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him. Check this out. He didn't look at the guy and say, dude, that is incredible faith. Dude, up high. That's not what he said. He turns and he looks to the people around him. And this is what he says. Hear the indignation. I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I have not found anyone in Israel with as much faith as that Roman. If we were there in this story, which team would we be on? Israel. I have not seen such great faith as I have seen in that former Taliban guy. Whoa, 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 whoa. Do you hate America? You better watch your mouth. You see what I mean? Immediately, this verse gets political and quick. He turns and he looks to the people. I have not seen faith at all like I just saw right over there, not even from you. Okay, good. Jesus is in a bad mood. That's excellent. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, okay, calm down. Why so angry? What verse? What verse but the subjects, NIV does a poor job translating this word. The word subjects sounds like we're talking to somebody like 
Like just like peasants or somebody within the kingdom. That's not the word. The word is sons. The word is actually sons or descendants. Direct lineage. That's the word. The NIV screwed it up. But the word is. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out. You know who the sons of the kingdom are? Me and you. How in the world is he going to toss us out? I'll tell you how. Because faith supersedes nationality. Mercy precedes law, but faith supersedes nationality. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. You know what else we got we to realize as Christians? We can never, ever, 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 we have to be able to make the distinction between our relationship with Jesus, our decision to follow Jesus, and our faith in Jesus, because apparently those are two different things. I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. I mean, part of the time. Our decision to follow Jesus is completely different, obviously, than our faith in Jesus. Jesus got people following him, and he's looking at them and squaring them off. Because a centurion shows up and says, here's what I know. You're all powerful. You're almighty. And you know what else he does? This, is, this, this sucks a lot, and it bothers me. The leper, who was obviously Jewish, he questions Jesus' willingness to heal. The centurion doesn't. The centurion seems to understand exactly who Jesus is. You're compassionate. You're kind. I've watched you from a distance, and I've seen you work. And you know what? I know you. I know you care about the broken. And it doesn't seem to matter where they come from or what they're about. You care. He doesn't even question his willingness. He just looks at him and he says, say the word. You're the man. I know you are. Say the word. See, we've got to get in a place in our relationship with Jesus to where we go, look, trust you. Trust you. I don't, I don't understand. Sometimes following Jesus is like playing basketball for the coach that doesn't want to explain the offense. You know? Like, what position am I supposed to play? Well, you're obviously not a post player, are you, midget? No. Not. Jesus doesn't want to tell me what's going on. What do you need me to do? You need to bring the ball down the court and pass it. Don't shoot. Whatever you do, don't shoot. Like, bring down and pass it. And our relationship with God has got to turn into this deal to where we go, I trust him. Trust him. Faith supersedes nationality. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go. It will be done for you just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. See, the first message is this. Jesus came to heal the soul. The second story says the centurion, this idea of the centurion, that Jesus came for those who were not, who are, who are outside of Judaism. That Jesus came for the whole world, which we understand that. He becomes a light for the Gentiles. We see that in the Old Testament. We see it in Paul's writings too. Now all of a sudden, we're opening it wide up. It's not just the Jews anymore. I want all people. All are going to be adopted into my family. And Jesus shows early signs of this right here. Third story. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Then evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. 
This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he carried our diseases. <coughs> they return back to Peter's house. Obviously, that's where they're going to stay. And Peter's mother-in-law is lying in bed with a fever. And Jesus learns of it and he goes in and he touches her hand. And the fever left. There's something powerful in this story as well. Short as it is, there's something, there's something really powerful about this. I don't know if you've seen anything uh, on TV about this, but apparently there are some women who have been out of shape and they're going to stand around in the streets um, and yell about it for a while, which is America. And do you think? Cool. Do, do you think? We hear these reports of, well, here's the problem with Christianity, is it's so narrow-minded. It doesn't care about women. It doesn't care about the broken down. It's racist. It's sexist. It's old and it doesn't work. Jesus just screwed up most of politics with these three stories. Jesus undermined the entire broken system in three stories. And we got Jesus standing here beside a woman touching a woman's hand, an older woman. And it's a fever. You know what? When's the last time any of you died of a fever? Well, none of you would have died of a fever, but you get the point, right? She was probably going to get well. Fevers go. But Jesus heals her. You know what it says that she does immediately when she's healed? She gets up and she begins to serve him. She begins to wait on him. Do you know what I know? You know, you know what I know when, when I get around these, I get around these good-hearted, good-hearted ladies. There's these, there's these ladies that, the women from the church, we've, we've had meals, we've done dinners. They show up and they want to serve. And for so many women, like that is a part of their identity. I want to serve and I want to help. I want to be around these people and I want to offer them what I have. And what I have is this. This is my, this is my worship to the Lord. I want to offer this. And Jesus gives her this thing back, and what she do? She gets up to serve. You mean to tell me Jesus doesn't care about the intrinsic nature of who you are? The little weird things that you love to do that really just capitalize on this is who I am as a person, Jesus doesn't care about that? You mean to tell me that Jesus only cares about men? No. He cares about Gentiles, obviously, with Roman soldiers. Now he cares about this lady. And he extends his hand, and he touches her, and he takes away the fever. Listen, let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus loved women. And I don't mean that in a weird way. I mean it. Jesus loved women. He cared about them. He saw them as equals. That's the nature of who Jesus was and is. Love exceeds equality. Love goes beyond equality. We want equality. You want equality? You want to take a step backwards? That's what you want? It'd be like me going around saying, I want to be five foot five. What, you don't want to be five foot five and a half anymore? No, five foot five. Really? We want to move backwards? How much sense does that make? Nah. Love exceeds, exceeds equality. Story of the prodigal son comes to mind to where one takes all the riches and blows it on, you know, 
cheap booze and cheaper women and then finally he comes home and the other one he never leaves and he stays right there and at the end of the story there's this argument there's this there's this conflict between the dad and and the son that stayed and the son that stayed says you never one time did any of this stuff for any of my friends never one time you lavished my brother with all these gifts after he blew your inheritance and screwed up the farm and you never one time did this for me and the father looks at him and he said but you didn't ask you never one time asked he asked what do you want quality nah that's not going to be good enough I promise you that love that's what you want I know I know good and well that there's so many of them out there so many ladies out there marching standing on the cross we want equality listen understand this from Christ's perspective equality is a step backwards Love is greater. Listen to these last two parts and then we'll go. This is the follow-up teaching on all of it. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then the teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds uh, have the air. Uh, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Here's the understanding. You good with being homeless? Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. We staying at the Marriott? You wish. You got a lavish pad on the other side of the lake? No. Another guy comes and says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. It's wrong. Jesus is just brutal. Why? Because there's an understanding here that discipleship is bigger than anything else we understand. Do you love your comforts? Better be careful. Don't love them too much. You love your biological family? Better be careful. Better be careful. Jesus might come. Let the dead bury the dead, Jesus says. Seriously? Jesus is rough. Why? Because the mission is that important. Because the love of God is that important. Because obedience is that important. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? All these other things will be added unto you. But he comes first. If we get that deal out of line, we get a really bad, angry version of Jesus. That's what we get. Woke up on the wrong side of the bed, Jesus. That's what we get. That's what we get. Following Jesus means seceding, seceding. Give up, check out on popular culture, our comforts, and here, here's another one for you. I'm gonna, I made this word up. Your offensibility. Your offensibility, okay? The ability at which you get offended. Like, you gotta get over that too. Because when Jesus shows up, what do you think he's gonna do? He's gonna rearrange all the furniture in your house and he's gonna mess your life up. For the better, after it, it sucks. <laughs> That's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. The next three, the next two uh, passages we're going to cover, if you want to read ahead, you want to you get going early, um, are going to be Jesus calms the storm, healing of the demoniac, paralytic, and then all of chapter 9. And that's what we're going to cover over the next two weeks. So if you want to read ahead, we will. Uh, let me toss this out here. If, if you do not know Jesus Christ, 
you've never made the decision to say like, I want to follow Jesus with my life. I want to be baptized. I want to give my life to Christ. You've never made that decision and you don't know him and you're, you're skeptical. You're like, ah, I'm not trying to be a part of a weird cult or anything like that. But Jesus kind of got my ear. Uh, get a hold of us, okay? Get a hold of us. We want to sit and talk to you. Listen, he is a, he, he is a, uh, will change your life, change your life completely. Change your life completely for the better. Um, if there was a God out there that I was supposed to serve that couldn't compromise me and back me up on a corner, he wouldn't be worth serving. Jesus, on the other hand, he causes a mess in the temple and he causes a mess in me and he causes a mess in you in our church. That's, that can be trusted. That can be trusted.